I think in four years, like, we're going to be really right where we want to be if we do a good job as a coaching staff and baseball fan and helping them develop and get more experiences. I think we're really in a good spot. Welcome to episode 199 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. Ashley Stevenson's name is synonymous with Baseball Canada's women's national team. Part of that squad for every World Cup between 2004 and 2018, plus appearances at the Pan Am Games and many other events, she was also a two-time winner of the Jimmy Rattlesnake Award to recognize her on-field accomplishments, team spirit, and leadership. That award was later renamed in her honor, after wrapping up her playing career, Stevenson joined the coaching staff in 2019, then took the reins as national team head coach this season, hitting the field for the first time in the Canada-U.S. Friendship Series. She's a trailblazer and recently added another accomplishment to her list by being named the first woman to hold a coaching position at the Canadian Future Showcase, formerly known as Tournament 12. Earlier this week, we caught up for this candid conversation on baseball, coaching philosophies, the state of the women's game, and much more. Ashley, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with this last week, uh, the Canadian Futures Showcase in Ontario. What was your biggest takeaway from the experience of coaching there? Um, well, it was really fun, obviously. Um, I was the only female there, so that's always something. Like, I got on the bus and in Mississauga to head down there, and there was 36 eyes looking at me like, who is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is she doing here? I had a fungo in my hand, so they knew I wasn't the trainer. Um, so that, that's always kind of interesting, too. Um, but when I got down there, it's all good, right? Like, it's just baseball. It's really mm-hmm. fun. Um, a different set of circumstances. Like, I'm not really around a lot of showcases in the women's game. Um, and so I wasn't sure really what to expect. And, uh, I wasn't sure. You know, I talked to lots of the other coaches who were there with, they were fantastic. They were great with me, picked their brain a lot, but even talked to some scouts, like, what are they looking for? And, you know, we had ch- chatted briefly before this and, you know, I had said, are they looking for baseball IQ? Or are they looking to just showcase some talent because those didn't always go hand in hand in the games and stuff like that. So it's kind of really a different experience for me, but Want, like anytime you spend a week on the ball field with um, with other great coaches and a lot of great players, it's a learning experience. So I had a lot of fun. You became the first woman to be a coach at that event, uh, eight year history now. What did it mean to you to add that to the lengthy list of accomplishments that you already have? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. It sounds a bit cliche. Like it, it honestly doesn't matter to me. Um, there are lots of women in this country who could have coached that at that event and been right in their element. Uh, I'm one of them and and I got asked and I was really uh, happy to be asked and invited. But, um, you know, as our women's game develops, there's more and more coaches in the country who could easily be a part of that and and be a really valuable asset to the, to the program. And um, the Jays are really looking to help grow the women's game and be, you know, inclusive and diverse and stuff like that. So being the first is always fun. It's kind of fun. Um, but more importantly, just making sure I'm not the last is, is kind of the more important point. Um, and I think if you ask any female who's the first, that's like the, a little bit of the burden that you carry with you. You want to make sure you're doing a good enough job because uh, you represent every other woman coming behind you. So if you do a good job, that the door stays open 
If you don't, it certainly closes a little bit. Whether it's all the way, I don't know, but it certainly closes a little bit. And so I think most women in any first is really uh, aware of that. And I was aware of that, but I've been around the, the Jays program uh, for a little while now. They've been really awesome for me. Um, and so I wasn't too caught up in anything like that, but, but it is in the back of your mind to some extent. As you mentioned off air as well, you've been in that uh, T12 situation before, so it's not like you're a complete stranger to the situation at all, but it is a different role. And so I'm curious how much of that was sort of in the back of your mind as you're going through all of these different steps and kind of you knew what to expect, but you're also taking it in from a different vantage point. Yeah, it was many years ago. I, I was probably at one of the first ones, and I was uh, had more of a like a helper role from the other side. I wasn't on field or doing any coaching or anything like that. Uh, so totally different vantage point. Um, for me, it was just like honestly about a fitting in and making sure that I felt comfortable and all the players felt comfortable and the other coaches like we were all kind of on the same page. And they're awesome, like former uh, Team Canada players. And so I think we kind of naturally bonded about that kind of stuff. It's always, um, you know, everybody's always excited to share their stories. And it was fun to listen to that uh, in the evenings. The, the guys just kind of uh, going back and forth with some of those things. So, so that's really fun. But, like, um, at some point you just kind of want to make sure that you fit in and you feel comfortable. They put me at first base for the first few games. I felt good there. Um, chat with players and, and like in all honesty every game that passed I felt more and more comfortable with like chatting with them what they're looking for what information and numbers they want from me um, but uh, oddly enough I don't have a lot of experience coaching first base I have more mm-hmm. experience coaching third base and which is funny because most people uh, would likely be reversed but um, and I actually feel more comfortable at third base because I've had more experience there so uh, I went to third base after our first two games and and kind of felt more at home there. Uh, and so it was good. I had a little bit of both. Um, and then I threw some BP, got to throw in the home run derby. So that got the heart rate up a little bit. <laughs> Make sure I didn't <laughs> blow it for the poor batters. Um, so really, it was just fun. I kind of just threw myself in there as best I could and, and helped out in any way possible and tried to learn from the players, the coaches, anybody who would chat with me about anything, really. Mm-hmm. I'm always curious in a situation like that, how much of it is trying to be a coach and how much of it is trying to help the players showcase themselves. I mean, at the end of the day, they're in front of scouts. They're trying to impress people and make people go, oh, I see that guy. But at the same time, there's that added side of you want to win a ball game too, right? So how much of the balancing act is being played there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you win, chances are your team's played better. That's often what's happened. So the element of winning and the competitiveness and the players are all ultra competitive, right? They're very good athletes and they all want to win. They all want to be successful. Um, For us, that was the second most important thing. If I'm going to be honest, the first most important thing for us was to just make sure the players uh, felt good in showcasing their talent because that's kind of why they were there. And that's why the scouts were there. Like that's the event. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not who's going to win this tournament. So, um, but in saying that if your team's successful, usually for the most part, most players have been pretty successful, but uh, a lot of it, and I mean, if you're an analytics person, you're going to love the answer, but a lot of it is numbers because you don't necessarily know all the players. And so I don't know their times. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know their run times. I don't know their times from uh, first to second. But I can tell them the pitcher's time, and I can tell them the catcher's pop time. And I'm assuming they know their own times because it's all numbers in the game now. And they can do a little bit of math. And I, I know for the most part, like, you know, what's a good time? I chat with the other coaches. In my mind, I think this is like if the pitcher's this to home plate, 
pretty reasonable time. If you've got above average speed, you can steal. So usually I watch the guys do sprints before the game and then look for some above average speed, ask them when they got to first base, what's your comfort level, are you looking to go? And if they said yes, I would say, okay, I've got the watch on him, his uh, delivery home is this time. And then most of them know, sometimes they'll ask for a pop time for the catcher. It's harder to get because on throwdown, they don't always take, go as fast as possible. So um, so the, sometimes that was a little bit harder. They were just trying to steal off the pitcher. But as the tournament kind of wore on, we had some more numbers for them. But for us, it was just like really encouraging them to stick with their, their game. Like if you're a base stealer and you're fast, then keep going. Like mm-hmm. if they throw you out once, it's going to happen. But like keep stealing. Like show you can steal a base, show you know when to steal a base, show you know you know, how to read off a, a pitcher and stuff like that. So little things like that were really important for us. I, I don't necessarily know. I, I guess that's coaching, but it's really like just kind of leading them to the water and then they do what they want when they get there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You and I were talking off air as well about uh, baseball IQ, and I'm curious what the pendulum looks like to you from a coaching perspective. Is it very heavy on the analytical side and not a lot on the, the baseball IQ, or is it still is it still kind of swaying back and forth? What, what are you seeing as a coach? Well, in this particular event, the, uh, the focus, I'm going to be honest, was not um, on baseball IQ. Some people, some situations, they were able to show it, but they're really just trying to show off the, the like elements of their game. Mm-hmm. Can they hit for power? Can they hit for average? Can they c- control the barrel in their hands, right? Um, can they make a play defensively, an average play, an above average play, like a routine play? Can they run? Like if you run, can you run? Like stuff like that. Um, and so most players are pretty acutely aware of like what they're good at and what they might struggle with a little bit more. And so you're going to try to highlight your assets and kind of hide as many of your, <laughs> your liabilities, I mm-hmm. guess, if I were to call it that. Um, but they're good all around players for the most part, but there are elements of their game that are better than others. And so they're trying to show that. So like the one example I had said to you earlier, uh, runner at second base and a a fairly soft uh, ground ball up the middle, like not a laser hit up the middle. And you're for sure probably not going to have a chance at home, especially if there's two out and the center fielder like fires it home, right? And so in my head watching, I was thinking like, that's a missed cut, right? For mm-hmm. me, that's a baseball IQ, a simple one, a missed cut. You're not going to have a chance at the runner, and now you're allowing the batter to get to second base. And so I had asked the scouts, like, are you looking at that? And they said, no, not really. Like, I'm looking at raw talent right now, and then I'm going to go watch them in games that matter. And so I think the players know that. Like, mm-hmm. I want to show off that my ball's got some carry and I've got a cannon, and in a situation where I have a chance at somebody, I can get them. And so I guess it was just hard to, in, in games that really, in the end, didn't matter. Like, they want to win because they're competitive, but mm-hmm. it didn't matter. Um, they're just trying to show their stuff. So baseball IQ, I think, was the hardest thing for me to gauge because sometimes I was like, would they have done that for real? Or are they just doing that in this situation, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was hard to, unless you've talked to the player, you're not going to know. Right. Um, so for me, that was the toughest part. And I think the scouts are just saying, like, I want to see the raw talent right now, and then I'm going to go watch them for real in games that matter and see if they can play. Very interesting. Uh, it's been quite the summer for you. I, I got to say, you were finally able to hit the field as the new coach of uh, Baseball Canada's women's national team as well, highlighted by that friendship series against the U.S. How would you grade your team's performance? Um, you know what? 
I wasn't sure, to be honest, what, what to expect coming in. Like, I would say USA, and I could be wrong, their manager might disagree, that they're in, like, a win-now scenario. Mm-hmm. Like, their team's talented. They're, for the most part, their entire infield is the same. So a couple starting outfielders. The, the part that they've really turned over would be their pitching. they got a lot of really good young arms. And so they're in a win-now scenario. I'm sure that they would consider themselves a top two or three team in the world. And we're in a little bit of a rebuild, and we had a, a tough summer in the sense, and a tough year in the sense that we lost our leader, Amanda Ace, and and that was really tough. Like that was really difficult for our team, and still at some points difficult for our team. So to get on the field for the first time without her was really challenging. And we have a young group. We had eight rookies, and so and and you know the U.S. has played through COVID for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, we have not been able to do that. So going in, I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I know that our players want to win. I know that they've been working really hard. I know that they're a resilient group, but that doesn't necessarily win you baseball games, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and we got off to like not a good start, <laughs> first ever managerial experience, and we lost 16 2. And I was like, oh God, we might never win another one. <laughs> so it wasn't a good start. And I think it was just like a. A lot of things that that happened, and it's kind of led to that. And and we were rusty, and we were nervous, and um, and all those things. But but all of those characteristics that I had just talked about from our group came into play. So we battled in the second game, still had some some tightening up to do, and then the third game won. Right? Like mm-hmm. so, really happy that we got that first win under our belt. Um, I mean, they sent a message game four. They wanted to make sure that they won that series. So so they took technically the series in game four. And I just said to our group, like, we can really make a statement here. Like, if you go home, you know, they leave on a loss and it's a 3-2 series, it's pretty tight. Mm-hmm. 4-1 doesn't seem so tight. Like, let's find a way to switch our mindset. And I think after the Wednesday, or the third game when we won, I think it was like a little bit of relief for a lot of players. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we can compete, we can win. And then not necessarily the cutthroat attitude of like we're following up the next day. Like we right. win now, we win the next day, and all of a sudden now it's last game, winner take all. It was, I think, a little bit of young relief and that we can compete and we won and not enough killer instinct the next day. And so they, they, they beat us the, on game four, and so they technically took the series there. But game five, I, I just challenged our players, like we got to come with a different mindset. And they rose to the challenge. I think the fifth day was our best day. We, we got better as the... As the week went on, that was a huge goal of ours since we haven't played together in a long time. Um, but I would say to some extent, we're in a little bit of a rebuild. Like we have some four that have been together, but a really young four that we took in 2019 to a, a qualifier. And then 2020, we didn't get to play. 2021, we did like a, just an in-house 40-player uh, little evaluation camp for a week in, in Quebec. So this is our first international competition since 2019. And that, that was a lot, I think, uh, with the emotions and with everything that happened. So I wasn't sure what to expect. I, I knew we'd battle. I knew we'd grind. And I, I knew the coaching staff was all in and, and we would be prepared for some of those hiccups. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was happy with, with how we did. Obviously, I always liked to win. Yeah. But, I, but understanding the circumstances, I liked how our team responded uh, you know, as the week went on to those games. I'm glad that my assessment of the team wasn't that far off because I had – rejuvenation i didn't have full rebuild because i know that there are some pieces that have been around for five or six years you got a couple of uh, players in the double digits now but there's a good young core and even from here in alberta you look at 
uh, Luch, and you look at Kelsey Lowler and some of those names that have been around for a while aren't on that roster, and you've got that the Madison Willens and the Ellie Jespersons, and and those names are now kind of turning over, and so I'm glad that I picked up on that as well. When you look at that core, what do you see? What do you what do you see as some of maybe some of the strengths that that this team's going to have for the foreseeable future because they are so young and and ready to go? We're really excited about our future. Like really, really excited about our future. I think our our young core is really, really good. What they just what they need uh, is more time. Mm-hmm. Like they need more experience in those tough games. They need more at bats against elite pitching. Like. Taipei, Japan, USA, or you're going to face elite pitching all the time. You're not going to face mediocre pitching, right? Like where you mm-hmm. can sit on a fastball and, and you're going to for sure see one in an at-bat. Like you might not. You might not against those pitchers. And so, and in a lot of women's games, like um, you'll get at least one. And so, so situations like that, they just need more experience. But like Allison Schroeder, I know technically she's like a veteran now since mm-hmm. she was at a 2018 World Cup. But she's in her second year of university, and we're going to consider her a veteran. Like, that kid is an animal. She's unbelievable. Love her on the mound. Love her attitude. She's a fighter. Like, she's amazing. And I'm, I'm excited for people like her to be able to take on a, a bit more of a, a leadership role. Ellie Jesperson, you mentioned, because she's from Alberta. She's outstanding. Unbelievable hands. Great at the plate. Doesn't necessarily hit for lots of power, because if you've seen her, she's about 100 pounds soaking wet. But can handle the bat, can hit, can hit anything. Mm-hmm. Like has ne- has never seen a pitcher who throws too hard for her to handle, and she's not a big girl, but gets on base all the time. Is fast enough and smart enough to swipe a base. Like Mia Vol can hit for tons of power. She's just in her last year uh, at university. Like our core group is in university or not even started university yet. And uh, like I think in four years, like. You know, you get through this cycle and then you head into a World Cup in four years. And I think we're going to be really right where we want to be if we do a good job as a coaching staff and baseball candidate helping them develop and get more experiences. I think we're really in a good spot. On a personal level, this is kind of the first real coaching experience that you're getting to have. I mean, these players are all getting that first taste of it. You're getting your first taste of it as well. Is it what you expected? I think it's better. I think it was better. I I loved every single minute of it. So I I was preparing for the summer as if I was going to be the third base coach, which is totally fine. Love that position. Love kind of being like, you know, an extra, an extra person on the field kind of leading the way. Um, But a goal of mine, it's always been to manage eventually, especially our national program. Um, And I got a call um, from Jason and uh, he explained the situation that um, Aaron had a personal thing was expecting his wife was expecting and he, it was just cutting it a little bit too close for comfort for him mm-hmm. probably more for his wife <laughs> and um, and so asked me like do you think you're ready you want you want it and uh, I was like I don't know if I'm ready <laughs> but I want it <laughs> and so I chatted with a few people they're like you're ready you're ready and so um yeah, I was so excited, and uh, I had like a few weeks to prepare, prepare for before we even went to nationals, and um, you know, kind of had my practice planned. We had a layout of what was going to happen, how much practice time we had, and and you know, talked to the other coaches about roles and responsibilities and how things might change slightly, um, and then just talked about what we you know deemed most important because we really didn't have a ton of practice time together before we got started in games, and so. But I love all those pieces of the puzzle that you put together. Like that, mm-hmm. that's part of the game to me that's like really fun. 
and, uh, and the planning part of it, uh, I, I really, really enjoyed. So that was uh, an element. I mean, I don't love losing 16 to two, but I wouldn't have loved that as a player either. Mm-hmm. So, so that part's not fun, but, um, but it was, it was better. It was better than I, I thought it was going to be. I, I loved every minute of it. What was maybe the biggest learning curve or obstacle that you had to overcome and especially making a relatively recent change from being the player on the field to the one who's, uh, who's given out the directions? Yeah, I think 2019 was probably my biggest learning curve in terms of like, I, as a player, like it's a little bit selfish. Even if you're a great teammate, it's, it's selfish. Like mm-hmm. you need to make sure you're sleeping, you're eating, you're training, and you're prepared, right? You can't do everything for everybody else, but you can make sure you're your best version of yourself and ready to show up, right? And you control your attitude. Mm-hmm. But as a coach, you're kind of in charge of making sure every, you providing opportunities for everybody to be in that situation, right? And managing people, um, everybody learns differently. Everybody kind of ticks their beats to their own drum, right? And so it's your responsibility to know your players. How do you get the most out of them? Do they need a pat on the back? Do they need a kick in the rear? Do they need, like, what do they need, right? And, mm-hmm. and to make sure that they're prepared, they understand the team philosophy and those things. So in 2019, I really had to go from a, a pretty narrow focus to a really large focus. And I thought I was ready for that. I thought I did an okay job, but there were times where I had to step back and I was like, oh, goodness, like, and trying to think a few plays ahead. Like, mm-hmm. the game, it's funny, everybody says is always slow until you're out there trying to make decisions really fast. And it's like, okay, in this situation, I need this. In this, situ- this situation, I need this. Okay, I'm going to need two people up in the bullpen because if this happens, like, mm-hmm. and so those things kind of probably sped up on me a little bit much in 2019. I, I don't know if I... I thought I was ready, and I probably wasn't ready. Um, and so this year, I really, really tried to focus on those things, like making sure in advance I was I was looking at my roster, looking at my bench, and uh, and and stuff like that. And I had talked to the other coaches, like this, these are the things we need to work on and we need to focus on and have less experience at that. So so let's all be acutely aware of those things and and just trying to have some some better roles. So that that was one thing. I don't think it I don't think it really caught me as much off guard this time as it did in 2019. Mm-hmm. But this time, you're the one making the speeches. You're the one, you know, saying the lineup like people are upset. You're you're the manager. You make calls, right? Mm-hmm. And so like the pieces fall and your last line of defense kind of thing, right? And so um, so that was a bit different like 16 to 2 first game and I have 20 sets of eyes looking at me and a coaching staff like, oh gosh, <laughs> what's she going to say? Because <laughs> as a player, if anybody knows me as a player, I'm like fiery and like passionate and probably passion's a nice way of saying it's competitive. <laughs> and so, but the message has to be, you know what I mean? Like, what do mm-hmm. I want my message to be now? So a lot of my learning was like, what do, what do we want out of this? What is my goal? I did a lot of like kind of goal setting for myself you know, from a, a managerial perspective for the team. And, that, and that's always going to be in the back of my mind. Like when I talk to them, that's always in the back of my mind. Like whether we win 16-2, yeah, that message is a lot easier. But when you lose 16-2, like the message still needs to be the same. We still need to get to the same point. And so that I felt like I really had to work hard at and make sure I didn't internalize everything and, and project onto them. Like I can go back to my hotel room and yell at the pillows, but I can't say things, you know, that, mm-hmm. that I might regret later to them. Like they're, you know, I'm proud of them. I know we worked hard. Nobody gave up. It is by no means what we wanted, 
but how do I send a message to them? So, so that's really kind of what I focus on. Not even field stuff, mm-hmm. like not even field stuff is what I was really trying to galvanize our group because we haven't been together in so long and we had a tough, tough year. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I, obviously, Andre had been around for quite a long time and it's not that you want to just blow it all up and start from scratch again. At the same time, you want to make your own mark on things. So have you thought that part through and what kind of, I'll call it legacy, but what kind of pieces you want to instill in this group as you kind of make it uniquely your own? Yeah, Andre was, you know what, like Andre and I were, were tight. He was my coach for a long, long time. He was excellent to me. He let me say my piece a lot. He ran a lot of things through me as like, uh, you know, one of the leaders on the team. And so, and we have a lot of very similar personality traits and characteristics and what we like in a team. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think in terms of like blowing things up, I just think we lost such a huge core and now the next core is there, but they're, they're way different than us. Mm -hmm. Like they're just different. They're not us and that's okay. They don't need to be us. They don't need to replace us. They're themselves. They're fantastic players. And so this is our group that we feel really confident with and how do we support this group? And, um, you know, and our team in making ourselves better. And so I actually chatted with Andre through the whole uh, friendship series. Like I, just as a a mentor, he's been a great mentor to me. And, you know, after that, for like, he'd bring up the first loss. It was like traumatizing. (laughs) But, you know, he he would message me. Are you okay, coach? Like, is everything good? You know, and I would say like, oh, no. (laughs) Or... In this situation, what would you have done? This is, and he would ask, you know, well, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? And, and just help ball talk with me, like mm-hmm. talk through scenarios of decisions I maybe haven't had to make before, but had to make here. And so the friendship series was nice in the in the sense that we wanted to win and it mattered, but it wasn't like a World Cup was on the line. It wasn't like a qualifier was on the line. So it was a nice place for me to get my feet wet, and he was really helpful, kind of in the background, um, just running things by him after the fact. And I mean. For the most part, I did most of the talking. He just kind of, you know, helped guide me through some decisions. And, you know, if this is going to be your philosophy, stick with that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, depending on score, depending on thing, like, stick with that. And so if you feel so passionate about it and that's what you want it to be, then then you ride ride with that. And so he was really good, just kind of really helped me stay focused and stay on track. And that, that I think, allowed me then to be confident with the team and to, to continue with, the, you know, the goals and the road that I set, even though we got off to a – a start that I didn't envision. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back in time a little bit here. I want to get to know you on a personal level and talk a bit about growing up. Mississauga, Ontario is where your birthplace is. How did you get into baseball in the first place? Um, my dad. Uh, I was young. I was always like a really active kid, but like most girls, their, their parents put them in dance. So I think I, my mom told me I started dance when I was like three or four. Uh, I have a younger brother. He's a year and a half younger than me. And I grew up on a little crescent in Mississauga, great, great area. And it was like a um, smaller area, but um, like a, a nice starter home. So everybody in the area was like, yeah, had young kids, everybody my age, except there was only like, I was the only girl. There were a bunch of boys and it didn't matter to me. I didn't think anything of it. They were awesome. They were, I, they were my best friends growing up, but they were all active. They all played sports. And so I remember when I was like uh, five years old, my dad asked me, do you want to try T-ball? I don't even know what T-ball is. So, and I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And so he, um, a friend of his uh, asked, uh, a good friend of his said, oh, my son's playing uh, T-ball. You want to come help me coach? And he said, well, only if Ash can come. Like, 
I'm not going to come. I have little kids. And so they said, yeah, sure, bring her. And I think it had to be six. And so my dad lied. He's like, yeah, sure, she's six. And, uh, <laughs> and I think he was a little bit worried, like, oh, no, I've just lied. And she might be the worst player out there. We've never mm-hmm. even played two ball before or whatever. So I got a glove. We got a little bat and a little tee. And we used to go to the park just around the corner. And the whole family would come. My brother would come. My mom. We'd bring the dog. And I just practiced. And, like, I loved it. I didn't even know. I just loved it. And you practiced, hey, you're running the bases. So we knew what way I was going. And, and I, like, I guess I was a little bit of a natural at it. I had some pretty good hand-eye. wasn't afraid of the ball. And my, my mom and dad, like, my mom loves sports, too. So mm. we would always have the Blue Jays on or the Leafs on, or, you know. And so I, I would watch. I would watch and I would listen and, and stuff like that. And so... I just grew up around sports, around being active. My parents were always super supportive. And then eventually I said, like, I don't really want to dance anymore. I I like this way better. Rather Mm -hmm. play catch with the guys and run bases. And and so that's kind of how I I got started into it. And then same with hockey. They put my brother in hockey, and I said, well, can I play? And my mom's like, yeah, you want to play? And so they just always were really open to letting me try new things and play whatever I wanted. And and hockey and baseball were kind of the two things that I fell in love with from a really young age. How did you manage to uh, balance that workload? Because it's one thing to play both sports. It's another to do it at a high level like you did. So as you got older and as the responsibilities and becoming a teenager and all those kinds of things all play in, how were you able to manage the chaos? Um, I guess first and foremost, like, I took sports above everything. And so lots of people would say, oh, you sacrificed birthday parties or you sacrificed this. But it was never a sacrifice. Like if I got to go to practice, I would rather do that than yeah. go out. Like I'm social in that I love friends. I love chatting and stuff like that. I'm, as you know, probably here, I'm long-winded and, and stuff like that. <laughs> but, um, but I still love sports more than anything. And so I didn't ever think of it as a sacrifice. So if I had to look at like, family, school, personal life, you know, sports, you know, my, my mom was awesome. I, I lost my dad at a really young age. He, he passed away suddenly when I was eight and my mom was amazing. She still let us, let me play and, and my brother do his thing. And, and it had lots of support system that helped me get to games and, you know, get to practices and who were just super encouraging. Um, but for me, my best friends became my teammates. And so I didn't necessarily like seek it like at school, I had some close, couple close friends, but I wasn't worried about like going out or anything like that. My best friends I saw at the rink or I saw mm-hmm. at the diamond and they were the ones I saw year after year and they had the same interests as me and the same passions as me and goals and stuff like that. And so it was nice just to kind of find my place in the world in sports and in a really safe space for me that had a lot of caring people around. So the balance was easy. I always loved school. And for the most part, it came fairly easy to me. Like, I worked hard, mm-hmm. but I didn't struggle at school, so that was nice. Um, and then, you know, like I said, my friends and sports went hand in hand. They, my, I love sports, and my best friends became, you know, my teammates. And so I, I didn't have to make a lot of sacrifices, really. I, or I never felt like that anyways. Mm-hmm. Do you re- remember the moment when you realized that it was more than just a fun game, both hockey and baseball? where you went, hey, maybe I can do something with this and maybe go to places that you could only ever imagine as a kid kind of thing? Yeah, I, people ask me this all the time. Like, Did you think you played for Team Canada? No, never. Mm-hmm. Like, I just played because I love to play. And I never, I never even, like, dreamt of it as a kid. I just thought it was so far out there that those were, like, such special people that got to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for hockey in grade 10... 
Um, all of a sudden, I kind of started getting like university recruiting letters because at that at that time, college recruiters could still talk to you when you're in grade ten. Right. Ah, uh, this was many moons ago, and so I just started getting letters. And then when I was at tournaments, people would kind of come up and talk to me, scouts, and I did not know what was happening. Like I was like. Okay, and so my coach, I think, gathered that I didn't really know what was happening, and my mom certainly didn't. She's like, we keep getting all these letters. <laughs> and, um, and so, like, my dad went to college, but nobody, in my, nobody else in my family had ever gone to university, and so I didn't even know if I was going to go. Like, I was good at school, but it's just, like, something that hadn't really happened in our family, and my, my mom said, well, if you want, like, it was like a big thing. Mm -hmm. And so, but all my friends, like, they're all like, no, you got to go to school. I had like really great people around me. My friends' parents were, were amazing and, and talked to me some, about some opportunities and stuff. And like I said, I had good grades so I could get into school, but I just, it wasn't in my vision because nobody in my family had done it. My dad, but he had passed away. And my mom like worked so much to make sure that we could afford to play things that we loved that we didn't necessarily talk about those things in my family. And so I'm so thankful for my, my friends, parents, and my support system, my coaches. They really kind of brought it to light. And then, then I realized probably in grade 10, oh, like I could maybe go to school for free. And then my mom doesn't have to pay for it. Like, wow. And so that's kind of the first time that for hockey that kind of came to fruition. And then for baseball, we the first team Ontario – team was formed I think when I was 16 and I remember saying to my coach do you think I should go to the tryout and he was like yeah and I said oh I, I don't really know like are there going to be amazing players there and he's like well you could be one of them and I thought oh could I like I don't know and so I went to the tryout and I made the team and at 16 I'm like this I'm living my best life I could go to school for free maybe one day to play hockey and in the summer I'm playing baseball and so 16, like grade 10, 11, like, and maybe that seems late. Like now it would be so late for mm -hmm. people to realize that. But I really played sports because I loved it and it was a safe place for me and a place for like just my head to not be focused on anything else except having fun. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of like grade 10, 11. I was like, oh, maybe I'm onto something here. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, the one thing that uh, you, you hear during the Olympics especially, but You've been able to play at a high level, represent your country, that kind of thing. Now you've gotten to do it as a coach as well. What does it mean to you when you think about that and the opportunity to, in, in hockey terms, it's wear the maple leaf on your chest, but you're wearing the maple leaf on your ball cap and, and Canada across the chest. Yeah, like it's something, it's silly. Like you've been around, like I've been on the team since 2004 in some capacity as a player or a coach and it never gets old. Like uh, this year when we handed out our, our jerseys to players, we took a picture of every single one of them. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, you're never going to forget whether it's your first one, your fourth one, your tenth one. Like for me, and, and I presented the coaches theirs, and I, I uh, got mine presented to me. And it really is something so, so special. Like I, I don't take it for granted at all. I, I grew up as a kid not even thinking that this was possible. Like a, dr a dream wasn't even in my reality. Mm -hmm. um, and so now I don't take that for granted at all. I love it so much. The program is so near and dear to my heart. I would do anything to make it more successful and, and allow our players to have opportunities that were as good as mine and better. Like part of it is growing the sport to the point that it's better than where it started and, and where I, I kind of left. Um, and so, so that's like, I don't know, it's tough to even put into words. Like when you're standing on the, the, you know, the foul line for the O Canada before the, 
in the game, you still get goosebumps. Mm -hmm. 18 years later, you still get goosebumps. <laughs> uh, and then you get quickly refocused. But I remember the first time our World Cup was in Edmonton, so mm -hmm. in Canada, and I had like borderline tears in my eyes. I was like, I gotta play a game here in a minute, pull it together. <laughs> but it was like something that you work so hard for, and and you don't even really realize it might be an opportunity. And then all of a sudden, it's an opportunity, and you're like, I was a kid from basically a single parent family in Mississauga, like, and this is where I ended up. Very not cool. Bad. Yeah, not bad at all. <laughs> uh, one thing I've noticed is the attention on women's sports has certainly surged. There's a great popularity. You're starting to see some, some action, especially hockey and soccer. In your eyes, now that you're kind of one of, I'll, I'll call it a builder, but you're, you're the coach, you're the one that's trying to, to be shameless self-promotion, I guess, for some of these players and, and these athletes. What do you think needs to happen to get baseball in that conversation with those two other sports? Uh, it's tough because softball is kind of the first thing that people think about when you think about ball sport for girls. And so I think if we can get it parallel, like on the same level as softball, that would be really helpful for us. And in order to do that, we need more universities to have programs. And so if you can get, and, and not programs where girls go to and play on boys' teams, but I mean all female girls' college teams. And so I think in the U.S., because they're such a driving force, they have tons of money, tons of players, right? And so, and then Canadians have an opportunity to go there because of Title IX and all those great things. But if you can get more and more schools in the U.S. that offer all-female programs and, and create like a D1, even if it has 20 teams, mm -hmm. right? Like that would certainly elevate, because right now uh, softball is not in the Olympics and neither is women's baseball, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, your dream might be to play for Team Canada. You can still play for Team Canada. You can go to the Pan Am Games. You can go to a World Cup like we do and like they do, right? The difference is, okay, if I'm not going to get there, I can at least get a scholarship if I play softball. And mm -hmm. at least I, I'm not downgrading that at all. If, you, yep. if you're a uh, you know, university athlete, amazing experience. And I'm, I'm so happy that women, I really am truly happy that women get to experience that. But if there was that opportunity for women playing baseball, I think it would change the mentality. I think more women would stay in baseball at a young age because we see lots of them come up starting play on boys' teams or more girls' teams are popping up. Um, you know, and then they think, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to make the national team. And so what do, what am I going to do? Well, I can switch to softball because I'm actually pretty good at it too. They're mm -hmm. very similar sports and identical, very similar. And so, and then I can get a scholarship. And if I, if I make Team Canada, awesome. If I don't, I don't. But at least I, I've had my school paid for an, an unreal four-year experience. And so I think that's going to be one of the biggest things. And I don't know how fast it's going to come. I hope, I hope it starts growing. Um, and then, so that I would say that's one thing, like, and I'm going to say domestically, even though, mm -hmm. you know, it's the U S, um, I just pretending we're one right now because we would share <laughs> athletes regularly. And the other thing is, I think we need to do a better job of growing it globally. Mm -hmm. And so like our athletes are actually limited in some of their experiences because the rest of the world, like the countries don't have uh teams. So for example, we didn't get to go to. Um, the Pan Am Games when they were in Peru because Peru doesn't have a team. Right. If you don't have a team, the host country doesn't have a team. They don't technically have to host that event. So softball got to go because they have softball and baseball got to go, they have baseball, but we didn't get to go. And so our team is, is excellent, you know, fully prepared to, you know, contend for a medal there. But because the rest of the world hasn't really caught up to where we are 
where the U.S. is and some other big countries, our athletes are limited in some of their opportunities because, you know, you have to have, you know, 16 ranked teams and whatever, all those, the criteria right. that are laid out on behalf of either the Olympics or, or Pan Am Games. So, so domestically, I think a uni university is going to be really important to, to start to grow. And then internationally, we just need to continue to help uh, some countries go, and in particular, Europe, like, it's no secret that a number of IOC members are from Europe. Mm -hmm. On the growing the game part, and you mentioned domestically, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. One of the things I'd love to see is uh, academy programs starting to branch out in that. Here in Alberta, we've got Vauxhall and Okotoks and a few others that are sprouting up, and you're sitting there going, this is a far cry from when I was growing up. I'm not that old, but you know, it's still, it's still growing, and I can't wait to see that side of it, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. How much of that plays into your mind in terms of growing it in Canada and, and making sure that there's that gap that's bridged between um, when you're 10 years old and when you're 18 and wanting to make it to, uh, make it to the, the, the national team? Yeah, it's funny that you say the gap that's bridged because right now we have a huge gap. Like We need to build the base of the pyramid before we look at academies. So. Mm -hmm. There's, we could have academies, like we could partner up like in, in Kent or in Ontario, sorry, OBJs, Terriers, Mets, um, Great Lakes Canadians, and a lot of very good programs. Like I was just talking to all the coaches who run those, all really successful programs, have great people in charge, and, and you do a good job showcasing players and creating great opportunities for them. But, uh, and, and we could have enough girls, right? I don't mm. know how competitive it would be because I don't know if we have enough good girls for each of those academies to have a full team. Um, but we need a bigger base so that eventually we'll have enough girls to fill those academies, right? And right. right now in Ontario, anyways, we're struggling with getting local associations to offer girls baseball because they still say, well, you can play softball, right? And right. so there's just that stigma that's attached to it. And so, and, and we can't do everything. Like we have a committee really trying to grow the women's game and stuff, but we need local associations to have a champion who offer it, who want to run it, who want to build it. Um, and so, you know, at first we think it'll likely be regionally so that they can play with girls and against other girls and, and kind of keep building the base of that mountain. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, sure, like those academies are amazing opportunities for, for athletes. And we have some that are in academies like that. Um, but for the most part, they then just have to transition over and play. Um, but women playing against women and women playing with women should not be like, downplayed like mm -hmm. it has to happen more often because it's a it's a different game like when we play we're an all-female team we play with against guys and it's great we're thankful that they let us do that to improve our skills but they know that they throw hard and mm -hmm. so you're going to see a ton of fastballs when we go away Taipei will maybe never throw you a fastball mm -hmm. and so you now haven't seen elite off-speed stuff because they know if they're throwing 80 to 85 that's tough. Like that's some, that's some heat. And mm -hmm. so I don't need to throw you a 72 mile changeup that you might be right on or a right. curveball that you can hit. So, so those types of things are important too. the speed at which, um, you know, things are played and the depth of where you play on the diamond stuff like the diamond size is the same, but you're going to see very few women that play with their heels on the grass, right? Where mm -hmm. that's a typical place for shortstop to line up now. And it's just based on speed, arm strength, all those things. And so it's not a slight on our game. It's just a different game, mm -hmm. right? And so 
like it's like tennis. I look at tennis all the time. Um, like there's not a ton of rallies in men's tennis because they got these bomb serves. Mm-hmm. And you're you're lucky to return it, and if you do, it's getting it's like a you know I'm hanging <laughs> on to return it, and then someone smashes it back. You women's tennis. People like it because there's tons of rallies, mm-hmm. right? Like the serve is often not a huge cannon. Like it's hard. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but it can be returned. And now there's, there's some strategy and stuff like that. So it's kind of like baseball. Like you're not getting people throwing 90. So you're going to get bats on balls. You're going to get balls in play. You're going to get lots of action. Are you going to see 450 foot home runs? No. Right. Mm-hmm. But what you're going to see is almost every single inning runners on base, stolen bases, ball, like, and so it's just different. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think we need to not to stop comparing the two. They're different games. And so, you know, appreciate one skill set versus another skill set. I'm not going to hit a bomb 450 yards or 50 feet. Never, mm-hmm. never in my life. But I like I can bunt for a base hit. I can slap. I can hit to right field. I can hit a gap. Right. Like so there's the elements of the game that are really, um, really good. But but we just need the base of that to be so much deeper. So that when they get, so we have enough talent at the academies where it's not, you get one or two players, or you can have 15 to 18 players and legitimately play against each other. And that elite league now kind of can separate itself, but we're just not quite there yet. A mm-hmm. couple more questions for you here. I've really loved this conversation. Um, this one, and both of them are actually standards across the board for most of our guests anyways. Um, you obviously get that opportunity to go and chat with the young athletes, the ones who are just starting out on their journey, starting to figure out who they are as, as ball players. What's maybe a piece of advice or word of wisdom that you have for them as they're maybe looking to follow in your footsteps one day? Um, well, there's a couple things like, and it's nothing groundbreaking. Like if you, first and foremost, I tell them that they've got to love it. Like they really have to love it. And I can't stress that enough. Because the amount of time that you're going to invest, if you want to be really good, uh, is going to be significant. And you're not necessarily going to love every day, but you're going to love the process of getting better and working hard and being part of a team and all of those great things, right? Um, So that's my first thing. Like, fall in love with it and stay in love with it as long as you can before it becomes more of a grind than a love. And the second thing I always say is, like, work as hard as you can. And so, I mean, I was almost never the most talented person on the field. I just, like, endured. Mm -hmm. I persevered longer than (laughs) others. And through that, I made adjustments. I was flexible. But I just kept working hard. How can I change my game to adapt, right? I I don't hit for power as much. Okay, well, I'm going to implement some more speed training, and I'm going to bunt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, early in my career, wasn't in my repertoire, not even close Late in my career, funny enough, I actually got faster and I added that to my rupture. Like, right, so always you're working hard to adapt and to stay and to always improve and stuff like that. And so I think those are two things that I say to, to anybody. Like, and if you love it, you'll keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You'll keep doing it and you'll keep working hard. And like I said, every day, like I didn't love driving two hours to practice every practice. I was the person in the car sometimes at traffic, whatever. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, as soon as I got out and got on the field, I love the next two or three hours. Always, always, always. And so you have to do, you have to love it if you want to continue uh, to play. And that, that love doesn't necessarily translate into success. The hard work translates into the success. But mm-hmm. the love allows you to work hard and not feel like such a grind. So 
those are my two pieces of advice. It's not earth shattering. I'm sure everybody says the same thing, but those are the two things that allowed me to have a really lengthy career and one that I'm pretty proud of. Absolutely. Final question for you here. What does the game of baseball mean to you? Oh, wow. Well, it's provided me with like a ton of opportunity that I, I never dreamt of. But as a kid, like it was just the place that I loved to be, especially after my dad passed away. It was some tough times, some tough years with our family. And my mom did her best. She was amazing. But it was it was hard. Like it wasn't always easy. And every time I went to the ball field, it was fun. Mm-hmm. And so that that's just something that I'll never take for granted. And I'll always love for the game. Ashley, really appreciate you coming on here to chat about a wide range of topics. One of the most candid conversations I think I've had uh, in recent memory. Congratulations on all the success you've had to this point. Continued success in this next chapter of your baseball life. And again, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks again to Ashley Stevenson for joining us this week, and thanks to all of you for downloading and listening. We'd also like to take a moment to congratulate all of the players, including 16 from Alberta, plus many others who train here, who all took part in the Canadian Future Showcase. We look forward to continue watching all of your development in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. A big shout-out as well to our Platinum supporters for all they do for us and for baseball in Alberta. The Oaktokes Dogs and AHP Academy are integral pieces in helping us tell the game's story in our province. If you or your organization would like to join them, head to albertadugoutstories.com. Until next time, thank you for all your support online, on social, and on air of Alberta Dugout Stories.